0: We're losing a lot of money and we don't have investors. So it was like, I don't think we're going to be able to scale this without raising because of the hardware component to what we had. That was a good thing, honestly, that that happened because that helped us transition. Because of course we could have just a pure software, you know, business and just strategy and go to market and still have that mass texting product, but without the hardware and the hassle. So. <laughs>
1: Welcome to SaaS origin stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves.
2: Today I have Dan Fell, he's a co-founder at Check It. Welcome to the show, Dan.
0: Hey there, Phil, thanks for having me.
2: Dan, first question for you, what problem does your SaaS product solve?
0: Yeah, so Check It's an all-in-one customer interaction platform. We help local businesses with the customer experience side of the software. So in short, we help local brands, businesses go digital. So what that really entails is one of the main things we do has helped the local brands and businesses aggregate all those different channels from their Google My Business messages, Facebook messages, Instagram direct messages, text messages, emails, uh, you name it. So all those different channels in one. So that's one of the, the core products at Check It and how we help local businesses. But there's a lot of other uh, features and, and products baked in. One is the review management side. And so that's kind of where we started as a company, so get reviews online, help on those local businesses, get reviews, respond to those different reviews. And those reviews play a big picture and a big role in actually getting found online. Uh, so that's that's kind of where we started. And to kind of back up further to kind of give you the a bit of the background story uh, with check it, we actually started out with a a text, a promotional text uh, marketing, product so essentially it was just mass texting for coupons and discounts and promotions and we thought it was a really cool product when we when we started out and really kind of being naive founders we're just we're building kind of like for us and didn't really take a lot of feedback in and so when we started out we were just doing a lot of like door-to-door sales which is really wild to you know when I tell people they always kind of laugh but we were selling to mainly restaurants hospitality so it was a really simple software in the sense that, you know, text marketing, it backed off of Wi-Fi. So if you go into, you know, a hotel or a restaurant, you sometimes you see like you log in with Wi-Fi, you give a number email. So we didn't use the email route. We kind of went, we thought, okay, it's kind of a little bit more cutting edge to go SMS and text messaging. So our first initial product was just people would go to a restaurant, sign in, and then the business could actually send them these different promotions and events and stuff are going on to drive traffic to that business, that restaurant at the time, which was we thought was awesome. It was a great product uh, to start out and helped us get some early traction. But as we, and we kind of, we only really worked with restaurants to begin with. And then the same old question kept coming up. And, you know, the GMs would, the general managers would ask us like, Hey, can you help us with our reviews? And at the you know at the time we uh, as i remember we weren't really that excited to build out anything to do with reviews we were we were just kind of focused on the you know sending out mass texts and and just you know the different discounts and promos but you know we got that question that came up and came up and came up and we said okay let's build something out so these people these managers can respond to those different reviews from one dashboard so they can look at their google facebook reviews revisor, all those different platforms and just respond and so that was kind of our early, you know, like one of our first first times we took that customer feedback into our platform and, and we kind of created a, the initial tab there for the reviews. And that that kind of is what gave us that, that huge traction to start with. Um, and then we took it a step further and we built out not just managing reviews and responding, but actually proactively asking through a text. We used the same channel. And then... That was kind of that light bulb moment where we kind of realized, okay, you know, this is very important for restaurants, but we branched out into a bunch of different verticals and realized that this is like a universal problem or challenge for a lot of local businesses. And it's kind of a universal language for consumers. When they search online, they're looking at reviews. So uh, we did a bunch of research, took as much customer feedback from the, you know, the small sample size of businesses, customers that we had, and then really kind of dove into that review and that's how we kind of stumbled upon the review management space
2: so that's a great introduction and i like how you talk about how you had an idea of what you guys wanted to do but the the market was asking something else and eventually when you went that direction that's kind of like how you found product market fit and you start to scale your product from there so let's take a step back though like where you were like like when you were coming up with the idea, walk me through like how it was. Like, what's your background and and how you met with your co-founder? Like, let's let's like a little bit like even before you guys start the business, how, what what was going on?
0: So my background, I have a finance background, and so I was a commercial banker previous. So I really have no background in tech, no education, no knowledge, no nothing. Right. So I was working up north at the time in the paw and it's like i don't know it's a town of a couple thousand people there's like there's a few streets really nothing there and that's when i met one of my co-founders he was working for the mill again no background no education no network in tech and software and we were just extremely bored because there's there's literally nothing around so we we basically said why don't we just like create an app for fun (laughs) and so our initial app was like it was pretty silly it was just like looking at analytics Basically, like who's entering certain, certain restaurants and certain bars and stuff like that up there. So we were just kind of playing around basically with an app. Um, and that's when we came up with the idea of this text marketing uh, that backed off of Wi-Fi. And so, yeah, I met my co-founder probably about six years ago. Both don't have a background in, in tech or software, just really bored at the time created an app that was that was like our first version that we just did nothing with because it it didn't really do a whole lot to be honest but that's where we kind of came up with the idea as is just the text promotional product so came back to winnipeg eventually i ended up quitting my job he was working he was still working at the time Um, and that's when we i reached out to two of our technical co-founders because we don't write code we had we had no we were like well, if we're going to build something, we're going to go find some people to build this. <laughs> so I shot off a couple of emails, met with them, kind of pitched the idea of this like text, you know, this texting, this promotional text product to them. I thought it was pretty cool. So we just started building like right away.
2: And how you guys fund it? Because now you brought like two co-founders, technical co-founders. So how you fund this, this product?
0: Yeah, you know what, it was, it's all customer funded. So we, the one thing about being bootstrapped is like, there's very little room for inefficient capital spend. It's very like, at at the start, it was super, we were pretty scrappy, we had to be, we had no money, like for the first probably, I would say at least nine, 10 months, we weren't making any money. So like I was at the time, I was lucky enough to actually be living at home. And I was just moving out. And then the other founders just had money from again their their old jobs. So did I. So I had some money built up um, that I could live off for a little bit. And so I, we just basically used that. Just, and it was it it was really nothing. Like we built it probably a couple thousand bucks really at the time. So it was just like sweat
2: sweat equity. Sweat <laughs> equity. So you you had some a oh, way to not to need to get paid for a while. So maybe some your financially savvy enough that you save some money and everyone was kind of like in the same space and you figure out how to spend less money like moving back home and and stuff like that so you could build that product and how long did it take to have the first version of the product you know what i can't i can't exactly
0: remember i think the first version Geez, the first version probably took maybe maybe a couple months maybe like four or five months max kind of thing But it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty janky at the time. (laughs) The dashboard was, it was like all different colors too. It was like this like ocean blue at the time. But it was very simple. Like, yeah, you just basically enter a a mobile number. You had the mobile numbers and you could set up these coupons or discounts or promos. And you could just set them up, send them out. And then people would come in with with that uh, digital copy coupon and Essentially, to redeem it. and
2: why do you think you're able to get customers, even though that product wasn't perfect, It was kind of like iffy, like you, you even said, was, wow, why do you think customers are still coming and things are still growing, even with a product that was an idea? Yeah, at
0: the time, I think, well, I mean, we did a lot of our like like pitching and, and customer acquisition in person. So we were it was just door to door driving to different restaurants and different chains. We started out our first couple customers, you know, it was just it was a cold pitch, and they just thought it was really cool that we could send out promos over text in Winnipeg. They just thought that was awesome. (laughs) And then we, I knew a friend that uh, had a dental clinic, and I thought, ah, you know what? Again, us being a little bit new to the space and not really knowing, I didn't really think reviews was a big thing for other. I just thought restaurants and hospitality because that's just, I think, what a lot of people think of, but. I pitched it to a friend that had a had a dental clinic and he's like, yeah, reviews are huge for us. Like they're massive. Like we, we could definitely use that. So uh, that caught us by surprise. So that was one of our early adopters. And then that was kind of this light bulb like moment, like, okay, well, if this is works for dentists. That's like the last vertical. I thought this would work for, but if this works for dentists. Like what other local businesses? So that kind of opened the door to almost like, every local business that, you know, out there that could use our products. So, and from there, we kind of just transitioned, I wouldn't say away, but less from the, just the obviously the text, the mass texting, we didn't have, we kind of got rid of the Wi-Fi marketing text products because it needed hardware. And that was just a big hassle to set up and stuff with businesses. So we moved, we transitioned from like kind of a hybrid from hardware software to just pure software play and uh, branched out. And just that's when traction kind of hit when, you know, we were working with dentists and jewelry stores and restaurants. And, and funny enough, now, now these days, like restaurants is, you know, we probably have the least amount of restaurants over every other vertical. <laughs>
2: so, How you found your customers, what's kind of like the strategy that has worked for you guys to attract and retain customers for your product?
0: Yeah. So when we started out, it was just, again, it was really old school, like door to door, just pitching everyone and anyone in in winnipeg and then we eventually picked up moved to calgary because we thought we kind of exhausted the winnipeg space so we just did a lot of door-to-door in calgary and then that's when we kind of started transitioning things more online because we thought well we're not hitting up that many local businesses just doing door-to-door it's not effective of course for the first little bit of it it is like you when you're starting a business i, I do believe you should do a lot of things that don't truly scale that just helps you get off the ground. But as you kind of progress, you definitely have to look at other methods. So one of them, you know, there's different different things that we we definitely tried and tested, one of them being like just digital ads. So Google, Facebook, we Instagram ads, so we tested that out. Um, Cold email was a was a big channel. So we tested tested that out. Um, And then just recently we opened up to affiliate marketing. We had a white label uh, product to sell a white label product, so other marketing companies could throw their logo, their branding on there, so that, that worked well for us for a while. But I think really the big one was just that has worked overall has been cold email, and just like pitching our product over, yeah, just email.
2: CodeMan is so powerful, and I hear that from so many founders. That's the strategy that works for them. That's the strategy I'm using to grow my own SaaS product. I mean, if you have the, and, and it helps you find the right messaging, find the right target. And then from there, you can like adapt that into the other channels. Yeah, for sure. But I like what you say, like in the early days, you kind of went very local and just like dominated that the one space where you are that's a cool strategy that the people that target small business like you guys did local business could copy because it's different right the business owner when they see you and you can explain to them how it works it's it's a great strategy to to start yeah and even like bigger companies start like that you think about like uber bnb they were like super localizing one city before they, they went to other places
0: yeah moved into every other yeah city yeah for sure And we were pretty relentless on on asking for referrals if, you know, that that dental clinic or that restaurant or that jeweler had, you know, knew another business owner, stuff like that. So that's obviously how we grew organically as well. So
2: you guys had to like develop some kind of strategy to know who you would go after, like how how you figure out that? Do you kept like going city by city or now like let's go over everybody else? Do you do you stick to Canada or like let's go to the United States? So walk me to your growth plan now that you're yeah not like just one city
0: our playbook was very very simple but but worked we at the start when we were just getting a gathering like like sending out cold pitches and emails and stuff like that we would literally just pull up google my business and just every dental clinic and every restaurant and every jewelry store and and then we would kind of we kind of did go city by city we did winnipeg and then calgary and then we did a few other cities and then we started branching out, know, we got our first few customers in the U.S. and kind of found out that the U.S. market is, obviously it's a lot bigger, but they're definitely with it a lot more. I, you know, I, maybe that's not the phrase to use, but they're more in tune with some of the technology that's that's already out there. And so we found it was almost easier talking to people in the U.S. than it was in, well, for sure, Winnipeg. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, in a lot of places in Canada as well. So we really branched out to the U.S. And then and then it was the Australia Australian market. So it's done really well for us.
2: It was because the U.S. market kind of like already knew they had a problem and they understood the competition and they were like kind of... That would make it easy.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of solutions out there. Like there's a lot of mass texting solutions out there. There's a lot of um, companies in the review management space. There's a lot of companies in the chatbot space. There's a lot of companies. in like we have, we have a video chat product built into our system. There's a lot of companies in the text to pay. So it was kind of nice because we have video chat, text to pay, the, the all-in-one messenger, you know, the review management. So we're in a lot of those spaces. And a lot of, there's a lot of competition that already exists in the U.S. So I, yeah, I think naturally it was a lot easier to kind of have those conversations with customers and business owners out there.
2: I think that's a big lesson. Sometimes people think, oh, competition is bad. But when there's competition, it means that you're getting a more educated customer. They understand your product. Now you're going to have to, where well, your product's better, but at least you don't have to explain why they have to solve that problem they were solving. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I
0: mean, it, it, sometimes it pays dividends not to always be, you know, the, the front runner in your space. So, I mean, there's a lot of examples out there.
2: Yeah, I think so. Being the front runner, it, it just, it's going to cost you so much money to educate a market on what you are trying to solve. It's better to just like come to the market later and, and help solve the same problem but I think that's when you can do as a bootstrap company not be trying to create Mm -hmm. markets but enter into a market that's already there and excel at that market that's at least how I feel is a good strategy for for founders especially if they if they cannot raise a bunch of money for sure yeah so what is like the first oh shit moment that comes to mind from the early days of your SaaS? oh shit moment
0: Well, one of the you know one that just it just popped into my head was um, when we started with the, the the mass texting product because it was backed off of Wi-Fi, we had to, for lack of better terms, install the software into these access points, and so the access points, of course, are hardware. You see them if you walk around. They're for obviously for people to connect, and so it was kind of that 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 hybrid where we have we had some hardware we had some software and I don't think we really thought it through well enough because installing those logistically was a absolute nightmare <laughs> 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 so and we and we had some customers at the time that were actually from the the town that we were living up in the pa so miles my my co-founder Drove up there. It's like eight hours. Eight hours there. Eight hours back to install these access points. And so you could imagine, just like you know, obviously not really thinking it through. We're we're driving there, driving back. You know, we're charging this customer like nine nine dollars a month. We have to pay. We're paying for the access points, which I don't think we were charging for back then. So like we're losing a lot of money, and we don't have investors. So it was like, oh shit! Like we can't. I don't think we're going to be able to scale this without raising because of the hardware component to what we had. And so that that was a good thing, honestly, that that happened because of course it was like, oh shit, what do we do? But that helped us transition. Because of course we could, we could have just a pure software, you know, business and just strategy and go to market and still have that mass texting product, but without the hardware and the hassle,
2: so. <laughs> what was like the big, like, why you guys decide to use the hardware? What was like kind of the big benefit of you having the hardware over and doing everything online through an API? So what what was like the thinking behind it in the early days? Like, no, let's do it for hardware.
0: Yeah, the thinking behind it was, you know, it was just like you you go to a restaurant. It was just easier to collect the data, the numbers, the customer contact information, because they go to the restaurant, they want to sign into the Wi-Fi, they throw in their number, their name. So the the business would, would have that. So they have an opt in method that was super easy.
2: Makes total sense.
0: And it just allowed us to stay within obviously the CAN spam and, and all those regulations for texting and, and mass texting and stuff like that. It was a really easy way for us to get that or for us to help the business get that opt in uh, data. So and that, that that piece of customer contact information. So that that was really the thinking behind it. <laughs>
2: oh man. That's actually an amazing opt-in because like I go to a restaurant, I want to get to the Wi-Fi. Now I have to give them my cell phone number and now you, you have their number. I, I imagine the the business owners love that. So how was when you're like, hey, I'm not going to have this hardware anymore. Like how you did that transition and and what kind of opt-in do you have to put in place now? Because that's cl- actually a very smart opt-in methodology that you guys had there. Yeah, so
0: the transition was pretty pretty slow. I mean, again, we weren't, Pros at at you know making that transition. We basically just serviced the businesses until they no longer wanted to use use the product, and we thought it would kind of just like fizzle out pretty pretty quick. But I think it was like two, maybe even like three years after, we still had these Wi these uh, sorry, these access points set up in the businesses, and they're still like wanting to use it. We we're getting these calls, and we're like, oh my god, it's a Wi Fi. <laughs> so we we would we'd get a customer support call or ticket it and it'd be like oh my god it's a Wi-Fi customer so we <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was just it's just a little bit different with with the the opt-in method of course there are a lot of them with the integrations that we have built out right now they have a lot of that that opt-in you know the, the regular those capabilities are built in right they've obviously bought a product or service in the last couple of years so they can they can effectively send those promotional uh, campaigns to those people so it was really about just transitioning. They already have a CRM or some sort of system, or a lot of businesses do anyways. But yeah, so it's just transitioning away from the opt-in with the Wi-Fi to just the CRM or the system they use. And then that being said, we kind of, you know, I, would, I wouldn't I would call check it a CRM, but it's kind of a mini CRM in the sense that we have all those when they send a message through web chat or through Google My Business, we have all that information anyways. But back then, of course, with our dashboard and our capabilities, we didn't we didn't have that. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> makes total sense. But but basically you guys didn't want to like hey, by the way, every client using this product you have to stop using right now. You just stopped selling and kept supporting. So that was kinda of like the transition plan from Yeah hardware to the software.
0: Yeah, exactly. We we just essentially stopped my answer is pretty long winded, but we just stopped selling and kept supporting until it
2: it kind of died off. So we're a very soft transition. That's how you guys did. So, could you share a very smart decision that you made in the early days? Smart decision. Yes, and and be ready for the follow-up question because it's going to be the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, smart decision. I would say I would almost say the same answer, which is kind of boring. Just transitioning purely to software, but yeah, I think. Probably the, the smartest decision or, or one of them that we made, not just going and focusing on the reviews and helping businesses get reviews, because that was a huge pain point. I think looking at it more from a holistic standpoint in the sense of their entire customer experience, where it's not just, okay, because when we built out reviews, one of the things we realized is that it's a pretty singular product and singular focus. It's just like the customer would come in, have those human-human interactions, and then you would send them review invite through text, they would leave a review and that's kind of it. So we'd help them get, you know, look really good online, uh, stand out online or, you know, maybe get chosen. But we didn't really have anything at that time, you, you know, more of like the whole experience, the, the customer touch points, right? So we didn't, we didn't really focus on a lot of that stuff. So that's when we started building stuff out, like our text to pay product. So it's like, okay, we can help you get reviews online people are searching on Google, Google's now maybe your new um, storefront, right, especially with COVID, it's kind of accelerated that. So, you know, looking great online is one thing in the search. But then, you know, if they want to pay you having a purely digital experience, so they can, you can shoot out an invoice, get paid, you know, you send it to their phone, they can pay you very easily, you can hop on a video call. So, you know, are looking for service updates in a collision center or a jewelry store, they can hop on a quick video call or in store experience if someone wants to do that. Also, to you know, having our chat system on their website is huge because again, they go to their website, they get found on Google, they maybe their Google My Business profile, they go to their website, they start a conversation, a text conversation, they can text back and forth, and we can make their landline textable, which is a really uh, neat feature and very convenient feature. So again, it's just that that full loop and more of... So we just looked at it from more of a holistic approach. Like, how can we really you know, look at all the different touch points in the customer journey? So that was probably the, the smartest decision is just constantly trying to add to what we had and, and help those businesses, mainly just through customer feedback, to be honest. But I think just, yeah, overall, just building it up more than just the review management side, so...
2: To summarize, you're like, we solve one pain point, what other problems this small business are, are having mm-hmm. around communication, because that's kind of like, what your business is doing that we can solve too. And that was like a smart decision to keep solving more and more problems to the same customer and adding more and more value. So that's that's definitely a, a insight for the founders can keep it like, what other problems does my ICP, my ideal customer profile have yeah. that I can solve for them? Exactly. Yeah. How about a, ba- a very big mistake, a decision that you made that wasn't so good?
0: Yeah, big mistake. Yeah, nothing's really coming, coming to my coming to me. But you know, one of one of the things you know, and I I, I wouldn't really call it a mistake. It was more of like a learning experience. But uh, we outsourced we outsourced a lot of our a, a decent portion of our sales, so we hired overseas, and we thought that would be you know a, a good you know, opportunity to kind of build that out and do it in a more efficient way, essentially. So we had we hired like a cold call team, a bunch of cold callers, didn't really work out. <laughs> so, and and there's there's probably a, a lot of reasons why, but one of the biggest ones was it's really hard to train people when you're just doing it virtually sometimes, and then there is you know there's a bit of a language barrier there, and yeah, there's a bunch of bunch of things that we didn't really think about before we just thought okay we can hire a bunch of people overseas they can do a lot of the calling for us and kind of we can scale that way i think that was that was kind of a mistake on our part so we ended up yeah we ended up hiring a lot of people in in winnipeg for the sales side of things and it's worked out a lot better and again there's probably a lot of
2: reasons why but that's a great lesson, so, so you guys tried to outsource sales, you decided that's not working, and then you brought everyone in house, so like now, yeah, you're training your own people on how to sell, and that has worked very, very well for you guys. but did you hire people that had experience, or you just hired people that you could train? How was building that sales team? You know you know what We hired people
0: that that's, you know they had the experience they worked for some other companies in the past, but I think it was just it was just tough with the the time difference training yeah just a bunch of things, but it was just so much easier to do it. like we have an office downtown here, and just having people you know just face to face was so
2: much easier just I mean the people that you hire face to face so like the oversee team didn't work now you're gonna build your own sales organization yeah L- let's talk a little bit about like what did you learn and how was the process of building the the sales organization in house because I think a lot of founders can learn from that because if you never build a sales organization, how do you do it? So like, what works for you guys? Like how many people do you hire? And like, walk me through the process of building the in-house sales organization.
0: Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that, I've talked to a lot of successful founders and, you know, I was asking them about, you know, the outsourcing the sales, hiring here, what that looks like, if they had any advice. And one of the things that a few of them said was, you know, Especially when you're you're starting out, but just in general, one of the mistakes that they said they made was hiring extremely experienced salespeople. Of course, they're a lot more expensive, but you know they're sometimes they're not. You know they just kind of said they're not as willing to kind of adapt and learn and, and and educate themselves and whatnot. Like we didn't we didn't really hire the most. Like a lot of them had experience in sales in a different verticals, which was good. But a lot of them are younger they're energetic they're super nice personable like we just looked for kind of those soft skills um, essentially and then everything else really fell into place I mean hiring we found that was wasn't too too hard that you know we ran into we got lucky I think we ran into quite a bit of talent you know, the people that we hired um, and then training you know so we had we had someone that's been on the sales side for quite a long time she did a lot of the training you know, for the team. And she's just, she's a, she's a rock star. So she did really well on that side. And really it wasn't rocket science. It was just like hopping in demos essentially. And they can learn from like you going through a demo with a customer stuff to say, you know, how to, how to maybe pitch the product. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't seem too hard anyways.
2: If you could go back in time and meet yourself, like when you're like about to start this business, what would you tell yourself?
0: Because I was doing a lot of the sales, I would probably take some of the rejection a little bit easier <laughs> i didn't. i didn't uh I didn't really have like a true sales sales background, so like doing the door to door at the start was very tough or just doing any sort of cold calling or any sort of sales was a little bit tough so the, at the start, I think that side of you know the rejection was a little bit uh tough to take and you know again, you don't have like a super like Clean product. Uh, your pitch isn't like perfect. It's, mine, mine still isn't really. <laughs> it's never going to be. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that. I mean, I would say honestly, I look, I look at things differently. Like I think, you know, going into meetings and and you know, maybe someone doesn't need your product or is like or says something to you or whatever. Like, God, don't take it personal. And honestly, most of that stuff you can learn from, which is good. So I think I just have a different like mindset or approach to things or look at things differently now than I did. Then I took it pretty hard when, you know, you walk into a dental office, they like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> or they're or they're, <laughs> they're yelling at you or something. It's like, okay. But I look back, I'm like, that's honestly some of the best experiences like I've.
2: So for sure, yeah. that's a great insight. So now we're going to our final two questions. Thank you very much for for coming on the show. Yeah, it was great. great to learn about your story and there's a lot of insights here. So the final two questions. The first one is, how does the company look like today? And what does the future look like? So anything you can share about sizing, anything, and where you guys are going, your vision for the future?
0: Yep. So right now, we actually just launched an all-in-one digital management services. So, of course, we have, we've all, we've ha- we have the software side of things. We have really mastered that. We spent the last three years kind of mastering that, the customer acquisition side of things, the sales side, the customer support, you know, obviously building the product. And we're going to continue to innovate and build, build that product out as much as we can. But then there's, there's the other side of things where you know, a lot of companies over the last year or so have asked us, hey, do you do SEO? Do you do local SEO? Do you have any services on that side? Do you have any services for social media management? Can you manage? Do you have anyone else that can manage that? We've always done those things for ourselves in terms of like Instagram, Facebook, managing all those those different platforms and, and mediums, and obviously on the local SEO side with just reviews and and blog posts and content creation and stuff like that. But where we've actually just kind of it's really new, kind of in, it's really in beta right now, but just rolling slowly out with with those services. So kind of having obviously the software side of things. And now the service side of things with the local SEO, social media management, and website design and hosting. So if they want any upgrades to their website. So it's really that all, we're trying to become that all-in-one marketing hub for, for a local business. They don't have to have their website design under one roof, the social media management under another one, their software stuff under someone else. It's just like all, you come to check it for, for that, that all-in-one. So we're a team of about 20 right now. So we have some people, a little pe- some people overseas. Um, a lot of, but a lot of them. Most of the the people are in Winnipeg here, um, and we're creeping up, up on about two point five million ARR. So doing quite, doing quite well for a for a smaller team, fully bootstrapped, haven't raised, don't plan on on raising right now. Anyways, <laughs> we'll see things change, <laughs> but I, I don't think so. We're profitable without without that uh, that side of things, but yeah
2: that's awesome congrats on the success and how far you guys got that's that's amazing to see and the final question what book do you recommend for every SaaS founder
0: i don't know if this this is really just for SaaS founders but just like you know just business owners in general shoe dog phil knight
2: oh that's such a great book
0: yeah that's that's my favorite i've read that like 10 times it's so good the stories in there and just like the stress he had to go through and some of those stories are just wild you're just like holy moly
2: yeah, I got stressed just reading. I don't know how you went through <laughs> the, those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, man, my stomach.
0: <laughs> it, well, it just like was it just sounded like horror story after horror story when you're kind of reading it, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, it's
2: it's definitely but, yeah. a great book for entrepreneurs. Because yeah, it's like that's kinda of like how business is. It's it's not like a walk in the park. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And if people want to follow you, learn more about you, what's the best way to do it?
0: You know LinkedIn on LinkedIn, and then just through you know Checkit.io, just through our website. So we have we'll have what's new, kind of our updates on on our sites, and then of course just our social feeds too. So get Checkit at on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, so they can follow us there.
2: Awesome. Then thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Phil. Appreciate it.
1: SAS Origin Stories is brought to you by Dev Squad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS origin stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.